Happy Sabbath, family. It's a privilege to be with you here at Amen in beautiful South Carolina, a place I hope to one day retire to. Um, <laughs> taxes are less. Um, we'll get right into it. I know the hour is far spent. I appreciate the invitation and um, definitely want to say publicly I appreciate all of your prayers. Uh, you need to know that when you pray for someone who is far away from you, God has a way of allowing that person to feel the power of your prayer. And I can tell you that there were times in the deepest, darkest nights when it was your prayers that lifted me out of deep depression and darkness as it felt like the whole world was coming down upon me like Elijah in that cave. So I just want to thank you publicly and all those who will listen to this on Audioverse um, for those prayers. They were very, very needed and still are. Amen? Let's get right into God's word for today. In Genesis chapter 39, starting at verse 19, Genesis chapter 39, starting at verse 19, the scripture says, And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which he spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. A message this Sabbath morning is entitled, CrossFit, Training for Eternity. CrossFit, Training for Eternity. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you on your holy Sabbath day. Lord, I am unworthy. Lord, my mouth is not as clean as the message I pray that you would send through it. But I ask, Father God, that you would wash me in the blood of the Lamb. That, Father God, every word that is said would be said to your name's honor and glory. Is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Our story this morning, we go to the book of Genesis, and we talk about one of my favorite Bible characters, uh, Joseph. Joseph was an unfortunately blessed fellow. He was given a gift of the ability to interpret dreams, and it backfired on him. And simply telling his brothers and his father what he had seen and experienced created a jealousy and a rivalry among his blended-type family that caused Joseph to ultimately escape a murder plot and be sold into Egyptian slavery. I think one of the most heartbreaking scenes in scripture would have to be the scene of Joseph as he's looking back on his brothers, shackled probably to the side of a mule or a horse. And as he begins to walk off into the distance and his brothers behind him get smaller and smaller as he cries out for them to not do this terrible thing that they are doing. What will father say he probably cried out and how will you go on after this as he is moved away in the distance by his captors? His brothers must drop their heads, some in celebration, some in shame, as they have to now come up with a plot to convince their father that they did not do what they did. When Joseph arrives in Egypt, he is 
sold to a man named Potiphar. And you know the story. It's a powerful story that Joseph is so pleasant in his slavery that he causes Potiphar's house to prosper. I want to submit to you, my mother used to read little quotes of Ellen White to us on Friday evenings. And one of the ones that stuck with me, or one of the paraphrases that stuck with me, is that we should always be the head and not the tail. God requires of us excellence. And, and I want to submit to you that whatever training Jacob gave Joseph back in his homeland shone through in Potiphar's house that when Joseph was given a, a, a position of privilege, things went well. In fact, they prospered. So powerful was Joseph's work that his master's wife began to notice the young, handsome, strong man. And at that time in Egypt, the, I guess maybe they had had their own sexual revolution. And, 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 and she made advances toward Joseph. A spirit of prophecy tells us not once or twice, but, but more than once. And the Bible records the final time when she tries to get at him when alone. And Joseph, rather than sinning against his God, leaves his coat. His coat. He, he runs out of his coat to escape sin. She's enraged and comes up with a lie to tell her husband. And you know the story. She, she tells him that, in fact, it was the opposite, that Joseph was the one making the advances. And, 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 and Potiphar had to be upset and disappointed all at once. His house had never prospered the way it did with this Hebrew boy in his house. But now, because uh, if for no other reason but uh, uh, the way that society would look at him, a man of society, he had to punish Joseph. Now, you know he had to have some, or you have to believe he had some reservation about the story because, in fact, Joseph could have, and if probably believed by Potiphar, should have been instantaneously put to death. Instead, the Bible says, in verse 20, that Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in prison. Now, one of the things you need to know is that prisons are not common in the ancient world. Uh, and that's why in a lot of the, 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 the punishments for crimes, if you stole something, you lost a hand. It was a whole lot easier than the cost of locking someone up for, for years at a time. And so it was easier than building prisons. There are not a lot of prisons in the ancient world, but Egypt's sophistication allowed them to have prisons. And the king himself had his own prison, usually where people only stayed until they were going to be finally sentenced to that punishment that they were going to get. That's where Joseph was placed. And it brings up one of the first of the lessons I want to give today, lessons I learned in my own prison experience. The first lesson is this. Doing right does not mean that things won't go wrong. In fact, I challenge you to understand that if you are seriously committed to doing God's work, persecution and trial will follow you. And right now, our country has still in place the Second Amendment protection of our religious freedoms. But I, 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 would, I wonder if you see, as I do, the chiseling away at that freedom. I wonder if you feel the way I feel that it won't be long until that amendment will be itself in some way amended. That in fact we have gone down the slippery slope of, of exemptions on this issue and with that 
Those who seek to do good, who, who only seek to, to follow God's way, to, to keep, carry out their own beliefs in their own manner, will reach a point of terrible persecution as prophesied in Scripture. I submit to you, you don't have to be doing anything wrong for trouble to come your way. And when I say fit, I, the fit, the F, the I, and the T stand for something. The F is for faithful. The I is in and the T is trials. We are to be faithful in trial, in tribulation, in trouble, and in temptation. Joseph was all of those things. He had done nothing wrong to his brothers, yet he was sold into into slavery and almost murdered. He had done nothing wrong to Potiphar or his wife, yet he was now in prison. I submit to you that if you think doing right means no trouble will ever come, you have a bitten of a fruit that has deceived you. I won't get into the Egyptian prisons for time's sake, but these were, they, were, they were a pretty sophisticated system, and the death penalty was the common outcome. That's what Joseph was facing. But verse 21 begins with one of the most important words in all of Scripture. It's a conjunction. It is the conjunction but. And I like the conjunction but. I had a teacher that once told me that when you read the word but, it means that whatever you just read is not as important as what you're about to read. Uh, don't miss that. And so the Bible says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Did you get that? All of these terrible things that happened to Joseph, however, even in his trials and his tribulations, he had not lost the mercy and favor of God. That seems antithetical. It seems to be an impossibility. But I want to submit to you that sometimes God allows trial to perfect the character of his children. You read a lot about what happened to me and it was all over the media, but I can tell you that what happened externally pales in comparison to what God has done for me internally. You see, being a physician, speaker, director, public health officer, all of the great accolades that came with the positions and the degrees. I have a master's in public health, a doctorate in public health. All of those things, uh, let's just be honest, they can go to your head. We can be, get caught up in our own success. We can believe, begin to believe that somehow there's something special about us. But I'm here to tell you that you serve a God that loves you so much, he will send something into your life that will keep you grounded and rooted. And what we must learn to do in our trials is to learn the lessons that God is teaching us, not get angry with those who are causing us the trouble. Bible says in verse 22, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. Joseph is so uh, important to God, and, and, and he's so good at being a servant and a, and, and a worker that even in the prison, he is promoted to a position of privilege and leadership. Which leads us to the second lesson. See your prison as a place of preparation. As I was going through what I was going through and, and, the, and the trials and the difficulties came, I began to study the Psalms. They became my, uh, the Psalms came alive for me. That's the only way I can describe it. 
And there are other texts in Isaiah and Jeremiah that did as well, but the Psalms came alive for me. And, 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 and I realized that all of the earthly preparation that I'd gotten in institutions of higher education would not prepare me for the kingdom of God. You missed that. That the degrees had no bearing on my salvation. And God had to put me through a new residency. He had to put me through a new training program. He had to put me through the school of hard knocks, as it were, for me to begin to understand what is really at stake in this world. Because I had begun to believe that through public health and medicine, we could save this world. My trials began to remind me that this world is not salvageable in that sense. What this world needs is Jesus. And each one of us, especially as healthcare providers, need to understand this. We are privileged to practice. And that our first and most important profession must be our profession of faith. Every patient we come in contact with, as we heard in the testimony earlier, every interaction we have is an opportunity for us to share the love of Christ, even with those who differ with us, who, who may not, cannot stand what we believe. Every opportunity to interact with someone is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. God was preparing me for something else. As your trials come, he is preparing you for something else. Remember that in our trials, in our difficulties, when sickness comes upon us, death, when, when job loss, when, 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 when financial trials, no matter what the situation is, ask God what is he teaching you. And be humble enough to learn the lesson. The Bible says then that the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Joseph goes into the prison, and, and even in the darkness and the dungeon of an Egyptian prison, Joseph has the prison itself prospering. Lesson number three is this one. You can and must prosper in your prison experience. You must, for the glory of God, do well even in your darkest hour. And when when darkness had come upon me and the difficulties were coming and, and I was looking for where to go, uh, God called me to the small island of Guam. And even as I was working through the challenges and the difficulties and the pain, God said, you are not to sit and sulk, you are to serve, as we'll come back around to. And I challenge you that when you're in your prison experiences, when trials come upon you, I challenge you to look for how God can use you in your darkest of hours. You'll be surprised how wonderful a pain medication service is. And it came to pass after these things, chapter 40, verse 1, that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wrought against his two officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. Verse 3 says, and he put them in the ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. The fourth lesson is similar to what I just said. It is this, serve others while in your prison experience. 
As God brought me back to the mainland, one of the things he did for me was align me with a clinic that serves the homeless, and, and I was able to become their chief medical officer. And I remember going in there and starting to see patients in a clinic where people are truly homeless. This isn't make-believe homeless. In fact, many of them live just outside the clinic grounds. And on your way home, you drive by their tents and their makeshift uh, shelters from the uh, blazing South, South California sun. And as I saw the patients and, and you start to hear their stories, you begin to realize that even your prison is someone else's palace. Even your darkest hour would be someone else's uh, major come up. Serve others. There's power in service to liberate you from all of the things the enemy tries to do to you in your trials. To make you depressed, to make you doubt God, to make you question his benevolence. That is what the enemy does when you're going through deep trials. He, he starts to ask you, if God is so good, why are you in this mess? But service says, no, God called me to serve. And guess what? As long as I am serving God, I have not fallen out of his favor. Because service to the Christian is a privilege. It is an honor. And as long as I can serve, I am on God's side. And as long as he's still willing to use me, I am okay with my creator because I know that I'm not the first nor the last to suffer because of what I believe. Verse 5 says, and they dreamed a dream, both of them, which man has dreamed in one, each man has dreamed in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And verse 6 says, and Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers what were with him, that were with him in the ward of the Lord's house, saying, Wherefore, why look you so sad today? Now see, some of us, if we were in prison, on trumped-up charges, on the vilest of charges, I mean, literally charged for attempted rape, we wouldn't be so concerned with how sad everybody else looks. Some of us would be in prison so mad that we'd be like, good, I'm glad somebody else is upset. They said to him in verse 8, we have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me them, I pray you. It is incredible that in his prison experience, Joseph's attention is on alleviating someone else's suffering. In fact, the fifth lesson is this one. Give God none of the blame and all of the credit. You see what Joseph did? He says, listen, I can't. He doesn't take credit for being able to interpret dreams. He learned that lesson in the process. What he says is, God can interpret your dream. God can relieve your anxiety. He can take away from you the worry that is upon your heart. Joseph had enough to worry about himself. He didn't know if he'd ever see his brothers again or his father. He never knew if he'd see the light of day again. He didn't even know if he would live, if a sentence would come down one day and he would be put to death. But Joseph's focus wasn't on his own suffering. Powerful. It was on serving others. When I hear about the, the pods and the clinics that Amen is looking to do and the, the free clinics, 
The pastor and the, and the physician that were here earlier that talked about the blending of the, the medical ministry with, with, as a form of evangelism and outreach into a community. I want to submit to you as times get hard, this is one of the reasons the spirit of prophecy tells us that it will be this right arm of the gospel that will still be functioning even in the last and the latest of times. Because one thing that will not be abated from this earth in the last days is the suffering of those who do not know Christ. It will remain an open door for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The chief, the chief butler goes first, tells his dream to Joseph. He said, in my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was, uh, a thought, uh, it was though it budded and her blossom shot forth. And the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee into thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. He says, listen, your dream is a good dream. You're going to be restored. Everything is going to be okay. But then the word but comes again, and Joseph says, but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For the first time we hear Joseph actually go into detail. He says, for indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that I should be put, that they should put me into the dungeon. Lesson number six, don't be too proud as you're going through your trials, to ask for help. One of the things God does is he sends people into our lives who will benefit us. I tell you, I was marveled when I went to Guam to see the ministry of some of the physicians there. Flat-out ministry. Didn't know it existed in that way anywhere in our Adventist world. I saw patients every day come in and see Dr. Robinson. Some of you know him. The prayers that Dr. Robinson would have with the patients. In fact, I had one patient. I told Dr. Robinson this story before I left the island. And I was taking care of the mother, and the two daughters were in the room, and their father had died about six months earlier. And we were talking about, you know, the changes that were happening in the clinic. I was leaving. Dr. Robinson was, had announced, I think, by that time that he was soon to be leaving. And the woman said to me, my husband was raised a Catholic. He'd been on this island most of his life. He said, but his interaction before he died with Dr. Robinson as his physician, he turned to us on the ride home one day from this clinic. And he said, I want to be whatever religion Dr. Robinson is. The wife said he's Seventh-day Adventist. That's the, that's the name of the clinic. He said, I want to be a Seventh-day Adventist because whatever religion that physician is, that's the religion I want to be. I was glad to be able to be in an environment where I could ask for help from these types of physicians, meaning I could learn in a very practical way, what it means to mix ministry, something I thought I'd always done, but in a whole nother level with, with all of the literature, writings by, by Pastor Finley on the walls in the clinics, and you'd come into the room sometimes, and the patients, because they had been waiting a little while, would be in there reading on the state of the dead or on spiritualism 
or they'd be reading on the Sabbath because that was what was up in the rooms. And, and God, it was as if God was telling me there is power in our literature, especially when it is mixed with our love. I challenge those of you who have practices where you can do it to just lay out our magazines, our, 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 our tracks, just put them around in the building. Sister White talks about uh, casting them out like leaves and, and allowing them to just kind of scatter everywhere. Uh, scatter them around your office. It helped me to be helped by them. There are a lot of people that are so proud they won't ask for help in time of trial. But that's part of the humbling process. That you understand that you are part of God's family and that you have siblings who God has in position who can help you. Now, verse 16 is kind of funny. The chief baker saw, when he saw that the interpretation for the butler was good, he finally gets up the courage to ask for his interpretation. You know, you get the feeling that this guy was like, okay, let me see what this guy says. If, if he gives him bad news, I want no part of his interpreting. And so when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds that eat them out of the basket upon my head. Verse 18, and Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off of thee. And shall hang thee on a tree, and the bird shall eat thy flesh from off of thee. Now that was a tough word to have to give. But it is the seventh lesson. Always speak the truth, especially in your prison experience. You see, when trials come upon you, sometimes you can be tempted to backtrack. They, they came to me and said, look, if you just recant and apologize, we can, we can make this all smooth. But I said, if I recant and apologize for having my own beliefs, for believing that God's word is true. And if, God, and if I do that, then I say God is not forthright in this point in the scripture. If I, if I do that, that means that God may not be forthright and truthful in other parts of the scripture. I have to believe sola scriptura in its entirety. Because John 3 and verse 16 loses its power if another verse is made void. So you must learn to speak the truth. That challenge is going to come upon God's people now. Are we willing to speak the truth in love? Are we willing to say what needs to be said to a dying world? If a car is driving off of a cliff and you have a, a way to stand in front of it and, and warn them that the bridge is out behind you. Do you try to lure them to the side of the road without jumping up and down and screaming, the bridge is out? Brothers and sisters, the bridge is out. This world is about to hurl itself off of a terrible cliff. And the interactions we have with our patients, for some is the last warning they will get before they reach the cliff. And that's hard because it's not politically correct. It, it can be uncomfortable to ask a patient if they want to pray. It, it's not always easy. But if you believe Jesus sent you into that profession, into this profession, then you have to believe 
He will open the doors for you to share his love. Verse 20 says this, And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave, and he gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Verse 23 is one of the toughest verses in the story of Joseph. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's tough. Because you have to ask yourself if you're in Joseph's shoes, where is the bottom of this fall? Your brothers moved from murdering you to selling you into slavery. The masters in whose house you probably became comfortable, you get falsely accused and he sends you into prison, into a dungeon. You reach the dungeon, and it seems as if your, your escape route has arrived. The, the, the two men from Pharaoh's own side come to be with you, and one of them you're able to prophesy a good end for. And when he gets out, he forgets you. In fact, he forgets Joseph for two years. I would have to submit to you that those are two of the longest years in all of Scripture. That Joseph had to ruminate on all of that had gone on, all of the failings, all of the problems, all that time the enemy had to, to nitpick at Joseph and to try and convince him that God had forgotten him too. But the scriptures, but the, but the last lesson is this one. Men may forget you, but God will never forget you. Men may forget you. They may reject you, you may be blacklisted, you may be counted out, but I have learned that Earth's greatest institutions pale in their ability to provide to the creator of the universe. I have learned that God does not own a thousand cattle on a hill. I have learned that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I have learned that even when you are rejected of your own, when, when even those closest to you push you away, I have learned that the God of the universe draws ever closer to your side. Men may forget you, brothers and sisters, but you don't serve a God who can forget you. He remembers you even in your prison experience, even in your darkest place. That is where we become crossfit. That is where we are trained for eternity. You see, the spirit of prophecy tells us that it was during this experience that he was being trained not just for eternity. Joseph was trained in the prison and in slavery and in rejection to be the second in command in all of Egypt. Powerful. He learned Egyptian judiciary systems in prison. He learned the customs by serving uh, one of the elite in Egypt. He learned everything he needed to know to do God's work at the end of his life through the trials in the early and middle stages of his life. The story is written to give us confidence that God will not forget you and that everything we go through, and some of you are going through some tough stuff, we dress up and we come to church, we look clean, we put on a smile, we say happy Sabbath, and some of us are aching inside right now. Men may forget you. God will never forget you. Ellen White says it like this. She says, Joseph's faithful integrity led to the loss of his reputation and his liberty. 
This is the severest test that the virtuous and God-fearing are subjected to. That vice seems to prosper while virtue is trampled in the dust. The seducer was living in prosperity as a model of virtuous propriety while Joseph, true to principle, was under a degrading charge of crime the most revolting. Joseph's religion kept his temper sweet and his sympathy with humanity warm and strong with notwithstanding all his trials. She says, there are those who, who, if they feel they are not rightly used, become sour, ungenerous, crabbed, and uncourteous in their words and deportment. They sink down discouraged, hateful, and hating others. But Joseph was a Christian. She says, no sooner does he enter upon prison life than he brings all the brightness of his Christian principles into active exercise. He begins to make himself useful to others. He enters into the troubles of his fellow prisoners. He is cheerful. Watch this. For he is a Christian gentleman. God was preparing him under this discipline for a situation of great responsibility, honor, and usefulness. And he was willing to learn. He took kindly to the lessons the Lord would teach him. He learned to bear the yoke in his youth. He learned to govern by first learning obedience himself. He humbled himself. And the Lord exalted him to special honor. We're all going to need to learn to be more like Joseph. There were those who would have wanted me to react with hatred and anger. But in the quiet times of my study at night in prayer, the words of Christ would come to me. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In closing, I'll read just a couple of verses I think of when I think of being crossfit. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Michael Jordan trained the way he did. Kobe Bryant trains the way he does. So that they can win championship rings that they can put on their fingers. Some of these people are temperate. There's a lot of things they don't do and they're faithful and they're working so that they can win an earthly prize. Paul says if if they can do that for an earthly prize, how much more should we do it for a heavenly prize? He says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, he says, I sh- myself should be a castaway. The Greek word for castaway there is adakemos. And the Greek word means to be disqualified. Paul says, listen, I don't want to have run this Christian race and fought this Christian fight. I I don't want to have gone through all I've gone through, all the trials, the tribulations, all the training, and then be lost. He says, I do not want to be a dakemos. I don't want to be disqualified. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is telling us that we must cross train. We must be ready. In fact, We always talked about getting ready when I was a kid. I think it's time we be ready now. On this October 31st, when the world celebrates Halloween, I'm reminding 
of the very important thing that happened in 1517. When the great reformer Martin Luther nailed to a door in a church in Germany 95 theses. The bishop was selling indulgences and he would not have it. He nailed it to that wall. Righteousness by faith is encapsulated there. But I wanted to leave you with this last thought. One of his 95 theses, or one part of that 95 thesis, is this statement. The church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said this because on November 1st, it was All Saints Day. And they would have relics brought in from all over. And people would come from all over the empire. So he, he timed his posting on the 31st of October very carefully so that as many as possible would be influenced by what he was saying. That as many as possible could hear of the trial that would happen on the 1st when he would make his rebuttal. He did it. He timed it well as they were coming to, to prostrate themselves before these relics in order to gain favor and, and try to move from, from purgatory into heaven and, and all of those uh, uh, the, the, the beliefs of that time. But he left us with a pearl here as a church. The true, the church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I leave you fellow healthcare workers with this. The true treasure of each of our practice is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be cross-fit for him as you interact with others. He's coming very soon. We must be ready. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org.